Welcome to the Proper Lookout Podcast, published by the Statutory Insurance Group of McCabe Kerwood. In this series, our CTP experts will discuss a range of topics, sharing their thoughts on an industry trend or an intriguing legal issue, explaining the intricacies of an important case, and hopefully imparting some of the knowledge that they have gained. Hi everyone, this is Vid Dragomirovic from the Statutory Insurance Group. This week's Proper Lookout podcast is a continuation of our series following our Maya Masterclass seminar that was held on 17 September. If you have been following our series, you will recall that we held a Masterclass panel that included Andrew Stone of Senior Counsel, Belinda Cassidy and our very own Peter Hunt. Today's podcast focuses on a question I posed to Peter in the panel regarding their mental harm provisions of the Civil Liability Act and their application under the Maya, particularly in circumstances where a primary victim is mostly at fault. Are witnesses or relative claimants entitled to statutory benefits beyond 26 weeks? I asked this question, and let's listen to the answer. This question is very Peter. Section 3.39 of the Maya provides that Part 3 of the Civil Liability Act applies to the payment of statutory benefits under that part in connection with an injury in the same way as it applies to the award of damages in connection with an injury. Let's assume that a plaintiff satisfies Section 30 of the Civil Liability Act and Section 31 of the Civil Liability Act in that they have met the provision that there is a recognised psychiatric illness that they suffer from. In circumstances where an injured plaintiff is diagnosed with a recognised psychiatric disorder, but the victim is alleged to be mostly at fault in the accident, is there any way that the injured plaintiff can have the statutory benefits beyond 26 weeks? So this, um, it focuses on the, the way Part 3 of the Civil, Civil Liability Act to do with mental harm fits into Part 3 of Maya to do with state benefits. And it's an example of probably the laziest bit of um, sloppiest bit of drafting I think I've seen not just in New South Wales, probably the entire world. <laughs> a bit of hyperbole, but Section 3.39 of Maya mandates that the mental harm provisions in Part 3 of the CLA apply to the payment of stat benefits under Maya in the same way they apply to an award for damages, and I'm quoting now, subject to any necessary modifications and any modifications prescribed by the regulations. So it seems like the drafters at this point of the exercise of drafting Maya sort of got tired of their job <laughs> and um, said, look out for yourselves. As I said, it's very lazy. If you listen to um, episode four of our podcast, I um, discussed this provision and I went through the exercise of actually trying to redraft part three of the CLA and I imposed some modifications of my own in order to make them work within the stat benefits arena. And if you want to see that, there's a link on the website under um, episode 40 or I can email it to you if you're interested. But essentially all I did was whenever I saw plaintiff, I substituted injured person. Wherever I saw defendant, I substituted the relevant insurer. Where I saw any reference to negligence, duty of care, breach of duty of care, I substituted um, some reference to the accident to take out any fraud considerations. And when I saw damages, I substituted stat benefits. So it was a fun exercise. You shouldn't take it too seriously. It's not law. It's just my attempt at assisting with um, working your way through those provisions. Uh, but where we have been given some assistance is Clause 8 of the regulations, which essentially says that when the uh, primary victim 
is partially at fault for their injury or their death, then that's visited upon the the witness or the family member who's making a claim based on mental harm. So coming back to Vid's question, the the effect of clause eight is that if the victim was not at fault, then the witness or the relative is entitled to staff benefits beyond 26 weeks. If the victim was partially but not mostly at fault, then they're entitled to staff benefits beyond 26 weeks, but, but their weekly payments are reduced by the percentage of their contrib neg. But if the, if the victim is mostly at fault, then the witness or the relative is not entitled to staff benefits beyond 26 weeks. Does that make sense? So to answer your question, Vid, no. If the primary victim was mostly at fault, I see no avenue by which they can claim by which the um, witness or the relative can claim step benefits beyond the 26-week period. They can, can come back later for a claim for common law damages, but if they can prove someone was at fault, but their damages will be reduced by the extent of their contrib net. Am I making sense? I understand your explanation. I'm not sure that it makes sense in terms of the policy outcomes. I can understand why in a third-party scheme based on fault, we say it's not fair to impose on an insurer an obligation to pay out where, in effect, you know, drunks come out on the road and their their relatives upset about the fact. You know, we, we've got a fault-based scheme and why shouldn't an insurer pay for that? And I understand that in a damages scheme. On the other hand, when you move to a first-party scheme and you say we're collecting premium to look after injured people and indeed their medical expenses for life, but for affordability reasons, we cut some things out, which is we'll give everybody a helping hand for six months we're going to exclude on policy grounds illegality. And in order to make this affordable and still maintain damages, at six months, we've got to say goodbye to you if you've got a minor injury and goodbye to you if you're wholly at mostly at fault. So the idea is to actually say, you know, in a rationing, and that's what happens at six months, we ration. We've got a certain amount of premium dollar and we've got to cut some people out in order to not charge more premium. When you're then applying the, the approach of we've collected money and we're casting out those who've done something wrong, with Mr. Singh, I'm not sure what the policy rationale is for saying we have to cast out Mr. Singh, he's done nothing wrong. And here I'm not necessarily sure if we're trying to look after victims, it's not the wife's fault, her husband's a drunken idiot. I'm not quite sure why we don't look after her psychological needs arising from this on a lifetime basis and the policy grounds for excluding her in a first party system. You know, I think when it says wholly or mostly at fault, we're trying to cast out wrongdoers, not notional or hypothetical wrongdoers that we drag in by a variety of other mechanisms in the act. I mean, if that becomes an affordability question, then let's have an affordability debate around that. But at a policy level, I find hard to understand why that's the dividing line um, of artificially calling people at fault who genuinely aren't. But Yeah, Andrew, I, I totally agree, but you know, the drafters could have oh, fixed that completely easily but, by drafting themselves rather than ourselves so, to do it for so, so many things they could have fixed themselves, but that's another debate. And I suspect I like your point about the policy issue mm. that you know the Sarah should have started with a big whiteboard to begin with about yeah, who are we going to give statutory benefits mm. to and for how long mm. and then built a scheme for them as mm. opposed to trying to amend the motor accidents compensation act to provide statutory benefits and stuff it up I mean, Mr. Singh's entitlements should not be decided by Justice Fagan or the Court of Appeal, and I don't mean that with any disrespect to them. It should have been a policy decision and an act that made clear whether they intended to cover Mr. Singh or not. Yeah, you know, the, there are some things that actually ought to be policy decisions rather than legal construction decisions. Yeah, you know, much as I'm talking myself out of a gig, I'd rather that be decided on a policy level of here's what we want this scheme to cover and not, rather than slug out each nook and cranny of it.
you know, I'd rather them get as much of that right in the drafting. Definitely a topic that will raise ongoing conjecture. On one hand, where a victim is considered mostly at fault, the provisions of Maya dictate that statutory benefits for claimants who are witnesses or relatives cease at 26 weeks. However, we can understand that questions remain as to whether that issue should have been given more consideration as a policy issue. As Peter mentioned, the Act won't necessarily preclude a common law claim being initiated in circumstances where a victim was considered mostly at fault. Also, take up Peter's suggestion and go back and listen to our episode 49 of The Proper Lookout that also considered the application of the Civil Liability Act mental harm provisions and Maya. If you have any questions or feedback, please get in touch with anyone in our team. In the meantime, we will be back for another episode of the Proper Lookout podcast next week. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Proper Lookout podcast. We hope you enjoyed it. For more information on anything discussed, please contact Peter Hunt at peter.hunt at or visit our website to see McCabe Kerwood's full team of specialists.